Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm looking forward to uh, opening God's Word with you this morning. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, we've been working our way through the first half of Matthew's Gospel, and we're coming to the last of those uh, talks this morning uh, as we get to that place, um, finishing the first half of Matthew. Obviously, next weekend we're focusing on the death, the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus for our sins and his death-conquering, life-giving resurrection over the weekend. And we'll be uh, looking at a couple of passages from 1 Peter. And then after that, we're going to be diving into the book of Acts as we begin our new series, Sent. But for this morning, Matthew 13 and verse 24 through to the end. Matthew 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, And bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 31, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man 
found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure that is what is new and what is old. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we are uh, unpacking your very words in these parables. And we ask, Lord, as, as we know we need, we ask for your help by your Holy Spirit to see the significance of what we're saying here. Lord, to sense the implications of it to be changed by your word. Father, we ask this for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, if we're honest, I'm pretty sure all of us at times have asked the question, why? Why? Apparently, when I was a little kid, it was pretty much the only question I asked. But why? But why? But why? My mum had the standard answer because why is a crooked letter and you can't make it straight. Confusing to a little kid. Um, perhaps enough distract, to distract me until the next. But why? But seriously, no matter how old we get, there are times we all ask why. And often this question is a question we ask of God deep down, isn't it? Why is it that there is so much apparently unchecked evil in his world? Why has this person who loves Jesus so much developed such a horrible illness? Why does life seem to be so tough when we are seeking to live for you? If you've called us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, why does it seem, at least to us sometimes, that often our prayers are not being answered? Why does it seem that the kingdom of heaven is not advancing? Why don't you just step in, Lord Jesus, and put things right? Why? And again, if we're honest, when we find ourselves here for whatever reason, we can really struggle, can't we? We can begin to wonder if God is in control at all. And if he is in control, does he really care? Does he see the things I see and, the, and experience and does it matter to him? Well, those who were the first to follow Jesus would have many situations like this. 
Situations where their expectations of the coming kingdom of heaven in the person of Jesus weren't actually met. Situations where things were far different from what they thought they would be. And here in this second half of Matthew 13, Jesus is actually preparing them, if you like, for those times that will come that they would face. And as we see what he said to them then, he will speak to us now, equipping us to live for his kingdom in this dark and fallen and often confusing world. So how does Jesus prepare them? Well, he tells them a bunch of parables. Six parables, in fact, that can be grouped into pairs. Three pairs of three, each beginning with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of heaven is. But before we dive into them, perhaps it would be helpful for us to ask the question, what actually is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, a, says it a lot in Matthew's gospel. It's possible the key, that this is the key phrase throughout Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Maybe that's why we thought we'd call it Jesus, the king who saves. In fact, his first words when he began to do his ministry when he, uh, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Maybe we just assume we all know what that is. Well, there's lots of ways you could describe it or define it, but here's one that might be helpful. The kingdom of heaven is the saving rule of God in Jesus Christ. The saving rule of God in Jesus Christ, the king who saves. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God breaking into his world in the person of Jesus. And so as Jesus prepares his disciples for what they will face in this world, he tells them three things about the kingdom of heaven to sustain them in it. And here's the first. The kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. The kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. So the first parable that he tells, which is paired up with the parable of the net, is the parable of the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like good seeds sown and then weeds also sown by an enemy. Both the good seed and the weeds grow alongside one another. Good and evil, side by side, in our experience, until... Harvest time, until harvest time. The weeds are gathered first and burned. The wheat is gathered and brought into the landowner's barn. Now, as the disciples come and ask him to explain it, the meaning becomes clear. Jesus identifies himself as the sower who comes and sows into the world. The good seed are those who respond to him and to his word and become, by his grace, sons of the kingdom. The weeds are those who oppose him, who in fact are doing the very work of Satan. And the harvest, that is the end of the age, the final day, the day of the Lord, 
the great day of judgment when Jesus will put everything right. When his kingdom will come in its fullness. When there will be no more sin and no more evil. When those who have opposed him to the end will have no place in his kingdom but will rather be separated from God for eternity in hell. The parable of the net, as I've already said, is the second parable of this pair, and the meaning is similar, isn't it? The net, the net, the net is cast, fish of every kind are caught, until the net is full, and for a period of time they are side by side in this world, good and bad, until the final day when Jesus sends out his angels and they separate the good from the bad. So what's the point of this parable for his disciples and for us as his followers? The point is this, the kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. Let me unpack that. It has come already in the person of Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. The saving rule of God is already here in the person of Jesus, the King who saves. And people are coming to him from every nation, language, tribe and tongue. And they are being saved and rescued by him right up to this very day. What's the date today? Is it the 10th of April? People are being saved by this king who's expressing the saving rule of God in his world this very day. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom of heaven is still to come. The harvest is not yet here. The sowing is happening in and through Jesus the king who saves, but the crop, if you like, is still growing. It's not yet in full head. The harvest is not yet here, but it's coming, friends. Jesus is clear about that. It's coming. But until then, we live in what you might call the in-between time. We live between the arrival of Jesus, the king who saves, and the return of Jesus. The one through whom the kingdom of heaven has come. We live between those two events. And so we wait for the return of Jesus. The one through whom the kingdom of heaven will one day fully come. When he judges the world in righteousness and ushers in his eternal kingdom. When all of our wise will be answered once and for all and forever. The kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. This is so important for us to see as we follow Jesus. Now, some of you know I've been watching a few YouTubers who are travelling around Australia at different points and doing different things. And one of the things they all have is a drone. And um, so much so that I'm thinking I should get one. 
not, never flown anything like that before, so it could be an absolute disaster, but nevertheless. But lots of them just use them to get good footage and good video that they can then put into their YouTubes or whatever and edit and so on. Lots of picturesque stuff. It's lovely to see. But there's one guy I watch who goes right up in the north of Queensland into incredibly dangerous places with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of massive saltwater crocodiles. So he uses his a little bit differently. He puts it up to get his bearings, see where he actually is and to see where you know, those rivers are and where those crocs might be and to look for mudslides where they've slidden into the water and, and so on and to see what terrain he's dealing with. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. These parables are like that. They give us a sense of our bearings. Where are we in God's unfolding plan? Oh, we're here. We're in between the first coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And so we ought to expect a mixture of the beauties and the glories of his kingdom, but also the darkness of this world still happening. Until then, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world coexist. Until then, there will continue to be suffering and evil and death in this world and followers of Jesus will not be exempt from it. Until then, we will struggle at times to follow Jesus, awaiting our full redemption, the complete transformation of our bodies. Until then, darkness and broken, the, the darkness and brokenness of this world may seem unchecked. But friends, Jesus sees it. And he will put it right. And nothing will go unchecked. One day the Lord Jesus, we're told in Matthew's Gospel, will come on the clouds with great glory. Our glorious King. The King of God's kingdom. The King who saves. And he will put things right. He alone. Put things right. Until then, he will strengthen us as his followers, risen and reigning, and the one who has poured out his spirit. He will strengthen his followers so that we persevere to the end. Until then, he will grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And until then, he will fill us with his spirit that we may bring glory to him in our lives. Until then, his kingdom will come in people's lives again and again and again as they hear about him and turn to him and put their trust in him. You realise that the prayer, your will be done, your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven, was answered the day you and I turned and trusted in Jesus. His rule, his saving rule came into our lives and that prayer was answered for you that day. The kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. Which leads us to the second pair of parables, which are much shorter. Verse 31 to verse 33. He put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and has become, becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in it. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour 
till it was all leavened. This is another pair of parables that can go together and perhaps the meaning is a bit more straightforward. Uh, Firstly, there is this idea of, notice, apparent insignificance through to all-consuming glory. The mustard seed. We're told, I don't know whether it is, I'm just going to take Jesus at his word, maybe there's other seeds in different parts of the world that are smaller, but the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. Even insignificant. If you had one in your hand, would you even be able to see it? Would you, would you need your glasses? Would you have to be careful not to blow because it's going to fall off your hand? Not to breathe too heavy. It's just a little seed. But in the end, it's larger than all the plants. In fact, it becomes a huge tree and birds of the air are nesting in it. If you, if you knew your Old Testament like Matthew's hearers did, you would know that the image of a tree that all the birds of the air uh, nesting is an image that's already been used for dominating kingdoms that spread throughout all the world that are large and vast. Here, this is what Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven. But the stress is on the small beginning, isn't it? Think about it. You know, think about it next weekend. One man in the back blocks of Palestine. Man who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the prophet tells us. A man who was esteemed as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, not even a man considered to have the blessing of God on him. He was crucified on a Roman cross in shame and agony, insignificant, hardly impressive, something that people turned away from. But he's the man who Matthew has made clear is Jesus, the king who saves the one who was born to save his people from their sins by his sacrificial atoning death on the cross. And the one who rises from the dead and opens up eternity for everyone who will turn to him and trust in him. The one who then says to his disciples these words, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Insignificant. Didn't look like much. But he's blown death out of the water. And now he is sending his disciples in to preach good news to all the world. And one day, as the book of Revelation tells us, we will see a crowd that you cannot number from every nation, tribe and language and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The kingdom of heaven is apparently insignificant at this point. And may often feel like that at this point. But one day, it will be all-consuming glory. 
The second little parable is a little bit different. Kind of, kind of points us in the, in the direction of the pervasive influence of the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. I'm not much of a cook, but I think I can work that out from these words. It's like yeast. Gradually, gradually permeates the, the whole batch of flour and so is the kingdom of heaven. It starts small. But actually, at the end of the day, it so permeates everything in God's creation that it completely and totally renews it and transforms it. Oh, it doesn't look much. One day we're told there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. <gasps> Can you picture that? It didn't, it didn't look like that was going to happen. The point here is the kingdom of heaven at first glance may not look like what you expect. It may seem like not much is actually happening, like the yeast. It might not seem that impressive in this world. The cross may seem foolish. In fact, many thought it was. But it is the power of God. It's the saving rule of God in Jesus Christ breaking into history and it is advancing in people's lives as many turn to him and trust in him and one day its full impact will be there for all to see. So the kingdom of heaven has come and is coming and secondly, the kingdom of heaven is powerful and progressing. It's powerful and progressing. And lastly, it's precious and transforming. Verse 44 and verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I love these two parables. I really do. And I think the reason I love them so much is because I need to be reminded of what they picture often. I don't know about you. Do you get your treasures all mixed up? Do you get the things you value all mixed up and muddled up at times? I do. These parables help us with that. They show us the surpassing worth of the kingdom of heaven. In both cases, in both people, there's a realisation of the worth of what they've found. And the point is, there's nothing more precious than this. There's this treasure hidden in the field. The guy's kind of just going about his day. It doesn't look like he's even really searching for anything. Comes across this treasure and it's like, oh my goodness. You can just see him looking around over his shoulders. Is anyone else around? Did anyone see this? Quick, let it bury it. I'm going to go and sell everything I've got. I'm going to come back and buy this paddock. Then it'll be mine. And the other guy, well, he's, he's a merchant. He's used to weighing up things of value. Everywhere he goes, he goes to somewhere and goes, hmm, yeah, maybe I'll buy that. Put that on Gumtree tomorrow. See how we go. He buys pearls. 
But then he comes across this one pearl. <gasps> it's got everything. Every particular aspect is there. And it's massive. Again, he goes and sells everything he's got to get that one pearl. And the point is this, there's nothing more precious than the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing more precious than experiencing the saving rule of God in your life and knowing God as Father from then on forever and having him indwell you by his spirit so that you might persevere to the harvest day. But we've got to see its worth. Otherwise, we'll be those Christians who kind of have those horse faces. Have you heard of them? I've told the story of the little girl who stopped with her grandparents on the side of the road to look at a horse. and She said, that horse must be a Christian. I said, why would you say that? It has such a long face. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's time for us to be grieving and mourning and all the rest of it, right? But there's also... The treasure. Being a Christian is the best thing in the, in the whole universe, right? Amen? Being a Christian is the best thing in the whole universe. There's nothing better. We've got good news. The devil wants to tell you you've got bad news that nobody wants to hear that's annoying. You've got good news. You know, come and find the treasure with me. Come and see what I found. The second part of this parable is that it's transforming. The kingdom of heaven is transforming. When you see its value, it will change you. It will change you. You see the shift in focus in these guys, right? Everything that they thought was really important, everything that mattered to them, it's on the table. I want this. The surpassing worth of the kingdom of heaven. It's transforming. All that we once lived for and considered non-negotiable for our happiness suddenly outshined by the beauty and richness of knowing Jesus. This song, which we used to sing, I don't know whether here, but I used to sing it somewhere, I know that, kind of picks it up. All I once held dear, built my life upon. Can you see the man in the field and the guy with the merchant with the pearls? All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this, knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you. There is no greater thing. I reckon this hymn was written on the back of this verse. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The kingdom of heaven is precious and it's transforming. It changes to value. It puts all the other values that you might have in life in their rightful place under the kingdom of heaven, under 
the Lord Jesus. This is what actually happens when you become a Christian, by the way. What it looks like to be saved by Jesus, to become part of his kingdom. You see the worth of Jesus. You see the worth of what he's done for you. You see the depth of his love for you. You see his grace towards you on the cross especially and in his resurrection for your sins and your salvation. And you, it's so precious. I want that. You reach out and you take hold of it by faith. But not only is it how you become a Christian, it's how you grow as a Christian. This is the most powerful key to growing to become more like Jesus. For Jesus to become increasingly precious to you. Because what will you do if you've got two things side by side? Two choices that you can make. Two things that you can pick up. If one's attractive and one's not, if one's desirable and one's not, which one are you going to pick up? If one's precious to you and one's not, you're going to pick up what's precious to you. You see what happens when Jesus becomes increasingly precious to you. Those other things no longer seem as attractive. In fact, they can begin to seem repulsive. So you will turn from sin and you will run to him. The Puritans used to have this phrase called the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. And the idea was this. If you had affections or desires in your heart that were not pleasing to God, you cannot stop them. You cannot get rid of them just by gritting your teeth and white-knuckling the Christian life and trying harder and trying to push it down and keep it down. You need to replace it. And so the idea was, as you have a new affection, a new desire for Jesus and for his glory, and he becomes more precious to you, it expels or kicks out those other affections that were not pleasing to God. Why I say this is the key to growing to become more like Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is precious and transforming. So, it's come in the person of Jesus and it's coming. It's powerful. It doesn't look much. And it's progressing. It might feel insignificant now, but one day it's going to be all-consuming glory. It's precious and transforming. So how do we wrap this up? Well, let's let Jesus wrap it up, shall we? Verse 51. Jesus says to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Those first few words, Have you understood these things. Remember last week we saw that only one person in the sower understood 
And we saw how that word means to be, when you understand it, it means to take it in, to absorb it, to welcome it, to obey it, and to be shaped by it. So these parables that Jesus graciously gives to his followers so that they might, they might get their bearings and know where they are and persevere with joy to the end. Have you understood these things, he says to us today? Are you going to take them in? Are they going to shape you? Pray together. Father, we come to you this morning again, thanking you so much for your word. It is your kindness to us that you would speak to us and that you would speak to us directly to our needs. Lord, it's not so much for your good, but for our good. It is for your glory that you would speak into our lives. But how much is it for our good? that we would indeed absorb and understand your word and be shaped by it and changed by it and blessed by it as you bring it home to us in the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom has come. Your saving rule has come. And especially it's come in the Lord Jesus in, in his death and in his resurrection that we will be focusing on so that we might come and be rescued by you, brought into your kingdom, made sons and daughters. Father, we thank you that one day your kingdom will be glorious. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Lord Jesus, you will come on the clouds with glory. Even though you were on a cross with great shame. Father, help us to see how precious your Son is to us. Help us to see the surpassing worth worth that surpasses everything else and everyone else. Passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.